Welcome to Set Free 24-7. Our journey through the message today begins in Matthew. Get ready for the ultimate wedding feast with a twist, where unexpected guests, unconventional attire, and surprising outcomes will leave you questioning what it truly means to be invited to the kingdom party. Next, we stop over in Romans chapter 2. Brace yourself for Paul's witty courtroom drama where he exposes the hypocrisy of judgmental behavior, reminding us that the true transformation begins with the heart and not mere outward appearances. Then we're going to jump in the Wayback Machine and rewind back to Psalm 50. It's showtime. Join the psalmist in a divine courtroom spectacle where God himself takes the stand calling all creation as witnesses to remind us that true worship goes beyond rituals and requires genuine hearts of gratitude and obedience. And our last stop for the day is in Numbers chapter 5 and 6. Dust off your detective hat as we delve into the mysterious laws of jealousy and the extraordinary Nazarite vow, where rituals, remedies, and a hairstyle like no other unveil God's desire for holiness and consecration. Are you looking for a little action in your life? Well, look no further. Grab a cup of coffee, buckle up your seatbelt if you're driving, and let's get ready to take a journey through the message. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. Welcome, wife. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you today? It is a hot summer Michigan day out here today. It is going to be a cooker. Oof. But I'm glad. I'll take this over cold any day. I will take this over cold any day, too. What season is your favorite? Talking to some of the listeners here I mean, if you're here in Michigan, we have the joy, some people consider it a joy, (laughs) we have the joy of having four seasons, you know, the summer, uh, fall, winter, spring, we Mm -hmm. get all of those uh, really good mixtures. Sometimes winter hangs on a little bit too long like it did this year. But what season is your favorite, no matter where you're at in the world? What is your favorite, Robert? I'm a fall kind of guy. Hmm. I mean, my birthday is in the fall. We got married in the fall. Mm -hmm. But I really like the little bit cooler temperatures. The humidity for me really bogs me down. I mean, I... I mean, truth be told here, I'm a sweater and not like the nice fun thing that you put on at Christmas time. Like I'm talking like dripping all over the place. Like... (laughs) (laughs) wiping my brow constantly sucking down water just to stay alive sweating all over brian came over yesterday i was outside shoveling a bunch of dirt and i my shirt was just soaked (laughs) it was so hot outside but you know uh yeah so summer just isn't my favorite time but Mm. once i get into the fall where it starts to cool down a little bit, the nights are cool, uh, you know, light long sleeve shirt, I can still wear shorts, you know, I love wearing shorts as long as I can, so. That you do. My favorite season is late spring into early fall, can I go like that? Late spring into early fall. Yeah, like all the warm. Okay. All the warm. I get it. So, and you 
you do produce a fair amount of body do. (laughs) 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 And while I do, yes, while I do produce the do, (laughs) I don't want people to think like I'm just some sweaty rag that's like flopping and slopping all over the place. Oh, no, no, it's never like that. I mean, unless I'm outside shoveling dirt when it's 90. Right. But people who also are athletes and have trained at high levels, which you have, tend to produce more, as I call it, body do than other people sooner. It, your body is much more efficient at cooling itself off. I really love that I have you fooled that I'm still an athlete. I will always see you as an athlete. <laughs> you will always be able to run faster and further than me. Mm. That makes you an athlete. I've often told people I don't have the, the quit button. I mean, I've quit a couple times, but I just don't have the quit button. I just keep going and power through it. I think the one time I did DNF on a race mm-hmm. was when you and I were doing the riverbank together a couple of years ago. That was my first DNF. You made a wise decision. I did. You did not. Although it did end up being a blessing in disguise because it led to a diagnosis that we needed, but... I would prefer not to go about it that way ever again. Heidi was completely dehydrated, didn't know where she was going, got lost out on the course, ended up taking a shortcut, a long cut, and a side cut. I did all the cuts. You did all the cuts. And And it was hot. It was super hot. And I did about 12 miles with a friend of mine, and then I let him go on ahead and I tapped out. I mean, we were struggling we were powering through it but i had already ran before that i had already ran a 5k and a 10k so i guess i had i don't know what is that a 5k and a 10k is nine miles plus so i'd already done a little over 20 i was gonna say well that's a 15k robert so (laughs) i should have just concentrated all of that effort on the 25k and maybe i would have been okay It's all right. (laughs) You live and you learn. It's okay. It was uh, an event to remember for a while. The Riverbank Run has this really cool option where you can run the 5K, the 10K, and then the 25K all back to back to back. And me and my infinite wisdom and, you know, uh, no lack of, you know. (laughs) Your highly trained status. (laughs) Oh, I thought, man, this will be a great idea. I can get three medals. It'll be so cool. And uh, I got two medals and two shirts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's better than the one medal they handed me, but I didn't really even earn because I'm not even sure what course I ended up taking. If they tracked it, I'm sure they wondered the same thing. Like, what in the world was she doing? I was a mess. Yeah. And I was in trouble. And I was glad that we had friends and just people from the race there that knew us and uh, were able to Mm -hmm. step in right away and help and and just be there for us. Yes, they were good. As soon as I said, I am not okay, they jumped into action and took great care of me. So today in the Crossroads Prayer Journal that I'm looking at, and people deal with this outside of prison all the time, but this is asking for prayer for students that are battling shame. Mm. And here's a little thing that's written by one of the students. He said, I had gotten arrested and felt so guilty for what I had done. And I thought that I could never be accepted by anyone, especially God. 
I finally took the steps of going to the Christian service, and I will never forget the date that I was saved, October 27, 2013. Since then, I have this inner peace in my heart that I have never felt before, and I feel the Holy Spirit guiding me in my everyday decisions. So, many men and women in prison carry heavy burdens of regret, disappointment, and shame. So, let's pray that they can find freedom and forgiveness, and that the mentors that are writing back and forth with them will shower them with encouragement. And this is a good reminder for those of us who are not in prison or don't have interactions with people that are in prison more than just people in prison deal with the shame thing. There was many, many times where what kept me in active addiction was the guilt from what I had done, the shame that was associated with that. And then that led into wanting to change the way that I felt, which led then into more addiction. So I know that there's people outside here right now that are going through that, going through dealing with shame, dealing with guilt. And so my prayer is not only for our Crossroads students that we serve, but also for people that are just on the outside trying to do their regular everyday life and may have done something at some point in their life that they just aren't real proud of. Maybe they're carrying around a little bit of that shame and that's a heavy burden. I'm one of those people. I I battle this regularly. Mm. And um, I think sometimes when you go through, you know, the hard stuff and you're trying to move on and trying to do life and you make decisions and it's easy to see in hindsight, you made some really wrong choices. I have not forgiven myself for that. And I beat myself up over that. And I feel literal shame from head to toe if I allow myself to sit and think about it. We don't need to do that. It's been covered Mm. and God has taken it and he doesn't see that when he looks at me. And I need to learn to stop seeing that when I look at myself. Because when he looks at us, he sees his child. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't look at our children when they mess up and with disgust and pointing the finger and trying to rub their nose in it. Mm-mm. As good parents, we're trying to make them the best version of themselves that they can be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Shame is a tough one. And I will say extra prayers this week, just in general, over anyone that may be struggling with shame in their life because that can keep you from a joy-filled life and Mm. that is what I want for you. So Father God, be with us today and be with people that are in prison. Be with people that are not in prison. Anyone today that is shackled by shame and just free them from that. Even if it's for just a minute, give them the beauty of the fullness of joy that is you that is the life that you have for them allow people on all ends of the spectrum to just see the good life that you have waiting for them and the good life doesn't mean everything is all hunky-dory the good life doesn't mean nothing is going to go wrong it just means we know whose we are we know what matters 
And we know the call that you have on our life. And as you bring us closer to you and you erase that shame, you erase that guilt and you replace it with grace, you replace it with mercy and you replace it with love. So thank you for loving us today. Thank you for loving us through our limitations that we put on you as humans and how we try to just put you inside of this little box and act like you may not be interested in that part or you don't want to hear about this or that part. You want to know everything Mm -hmm. and you want us to put it all before you. So today we put this before you and just ask that you Take that burden of shame off of whoever is feeling that today and replace it with your joy. And I ask this all in your holy name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Heidi, we are starting out today in Matthew. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are going to get ready for a little wedding feast, I heard. That we are. Always a joyful celebration. Or should be. Or is it? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been to a wedding where, like, everything went wrong? Nothing that was planned went right? Like, what is the worst, I guess, if if, if there is a thing, like, what's the worst wedding memory that you have? It doesn't have to be, like, yours personally, but mm-hmm. if you've been involved in something. Oh, goodness. For the most part, I think they've gone really, really well. But I did go to one that all of a sudden it became horrifyingly obvious that family drama had entered the building. And there was awkward and uncomfortable moments of family members having those intense discussions. And you can tell it's not good. Uh, And it makes things just a bit awkward for the invited guests. It was really pretty bad. And it, it was quite sad because they missed important moments of this wedding and really hurt a bride and groom whose joy was affected by this going on. And and it was just so sad to see, but I'm still feeling that awkwardness (laughs) of the situation. But I know it's like, you don't know what to do, what to say, or like, is it okay if I go and have a conversation with this person? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're going to be starting out today in Matthew and we are in Matthew chapter 22 and Heidi will be reading verses 1 through 14. Okay, the story of the wedding banquet. Jesus responded by telling still more stories. God's kingdom, he said, is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out servants to call in all the invited guests, and they wouldn't come. He sent out another round of servants, instructing them to tell the guests, Look, everything is on the table. The prime rib is ready for carving. Come to the feast. They only shrugged their shoulders and went off, one to weed his garden, another to work in his shop. The next, with nothing better to do, beat up on the messengers and then killed them. The king was outraged and sent his soldiers to destroy those thugs and level their city. Then he told his servants, We have a wedding banquet all prepared, but no guests. The ones I invited weren't up to it. Go out into the busiest intersections in town and invite anyone you find to the banquet. The servants went out on the streets and rounded up everyone they laid eyes on, good and bad, regardless. And so the banquet was on, every place filled. 
When the king entered and looked over the scene, he spotted a man who wasn't properly dressed. He said to him, friend, how dare you come in here looking like that? The man was speechless. Then the king told his servants, get him out of here fast. Tie him up and ship him to hell and make sure he doesn't get back in. That's what I mean when I say many get invited, only a few make it. There is a quick pause here from Eugene Peterson that I think I should read. (laughs) I think that would be interesting because I was already with a comment and then I'm like, poof, that one just went away. (laughs) Here we go. This is the irony and the tragedy. So our response to this story is, why, that's crazy. That would never happen. The king invited you? Who would be so dumb to make excuses? A marriage feast has been spread? Who would be stupid enough to stay away? We make the judgment on ourselves. God has invited us to come to him, and he has prepared a feast for us to share. And we take it lightly. We make excuses. Or we're so far out of touch with reality that we actually scoff at or even destroy the messengers who deliver the invitation. God is the reality with whom we have to deal. Life is the banquet that he's prepared. How many of our actions are a refusal to come to him and a rejection of his presence with us? The second parable is a sequel to the first. It's clear that the man was dressed inappropriately. Why? Because he didn't take the feast seriously. The power of this parable, like the first is in its preposterousness, its exaggeration. The obvious response of the listeners would be, but Jesus, nobody would ever do that. You wouldn't find a man at a wedding feast without the proper garment. The garments are all hanging there on the wall to put on. Or nobody would come to the table with mud and manure all over his clothes. He would at least put clean clothes on. Exactly, says Jesus. And yet, isn't that what you're doing? We read the Bible with the same detached boredom with which we skim the newspaper. We pray with the same casual indifference that we use when talking to the checkout clerk in the supermarket, the bare monosyllabic minimum that will get us our daily bread. This is both the irony and the tragedy of these two parables, and it is both the irony and the tragedy of our own lives as well. That made it completely make sense. All of a sudden, it was... it Because initially, you think, well, man, you sent the soldiers or his helpers, whatever, you sent them out to the city to get anyone... And now they show up with a whole bunch of people and now you're banishing somebody to hell? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the first thought that goes through your head. Like that's not fair. You, it, you're it the is. one who pulled the guy off the street. Right. But logic dictates, special events like that mean you prepare for it. You don't just show up like, yeah, I don't care. I'm just coming as I am and I just really don't care that you, you know. I'm just here for the prime rib. Right. 
But this is not addressing what you must wear to church. This has nothing nothing to do with this. It's not saying you have to wear a skirt or a dress. It's not saying it has to look like this or a three-piece suit. Does it have to be within three fingers of the knee, the (laughs) skirt? I mean, was that the rule? Four fingers? Oh, Pharisee, Pharisee, Pharisee. (laughs) God's concern is where is your heart and your mind when you are present with him. Yeah. That's what he wants to know. And he already does know, so don't try to hide it. And next I'll be stopping over here in Romans chapter 2. Going to pick up here and see what Paul is up to. I've really enjoyed going through Romans thus far, and I am excited to be looking at some of the chapters coming up here. I love how the message version unpacks some of the meaning in some of those verses in Romans, and uh, this has just been really good. This chapter is titled, God is Kind, But Not Soft. These people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on a high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, that you would distract God from seeing all of your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? You better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. You're not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it's going to blaze hot and high, God's fiery and righteous judgment. Make no mistake. In the end, you get what's coming to you. Real life for those who work on God's side, but to those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least resistance, fire. If you go against the grain, you get splinters, regardless of which neighborhood you're from, what your parents taught you, what schools you attended. But if you embrace the way that God does things, there are wonderful payoffs, again, without regard to where you are from or how you were brought up. Being a Jew won't give you an automatic stamp of approval. God pays no attention to what others say or what you think about you. He makes up his own mind. If you sin without knowing what you're doing, God takes that into account. But if you sin knowing full well what you're doing, that's a different story entirely. Merely hearing God's law is a waste of your time if you don't do what he commands. Doing, not hearing is what makes the difference with God. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien, imposed on us from without, 
but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. Their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day God makes his final decision about every man and woman. The message from God that I proclaim through Jesus Christ takes into account all of these differences. If you're brought up Jewish, don't assume that you can lean back in the arms of your religion and take it easy, feeling smug because you're an insider to God's revelation, a connoisseur of the best things of God, informed of the latest doctrines. I have a special word of caution for you who are sure that you have it all together yourselves and because you know God's revealed word inside and out, feel qualified to guide others through their blind alleys and dark nights and confused emotions to God. While you are guiding others, who is going to guide you? I'm quite serious. While preaching don't steal, are you going to rob people blind? Who would suspect you? The same with adultery. The same with idolatry. You can get by with almost anything if you front it with eloquent talk about God and His law. The line from Scripture, it's because of you Jews that the outsiders frown on God, shows that it's an old problem that isn't going to go away. Circumcision, the surgical ritual that marks you as a Jew, is great if you live in accord with God's law. But if you don't, it's worse than not being circumcised. The reverse is also true. The uncircumcised who keep God's ways are as good as the circumcised. In fact, better. Better to keep God's law uncircumcised than to break it circumcised. Don't you see, it's not the cut of a knife that makes you a Jew. You become a Jew by who you are. It's the mark of God on your heart. Not of a knife on your skin that makes you a Jew. And recognition comes from God, not legalistic critics. And that, my friends, is the end of Romans chapter 2. I loved that chapter. That was a great chapter. I have something to work on. Mm. It was addressed in the beginning of that. Okay. Judging. Mm. Humans, they tend to fall easily into the habit of judging other people people and sometimes it can seem almost innocent or off-handed or just a small little minor thing but it's yeah. still judging and I need to really focus on that and just clear that from my life I I have no business doing that towards anyone no matter what they've done it's not my job I hear you and I am guilty of it probably just as often or if not more I'm, I'm absolutely convicted of that as well. Oof, here we sit in our convicted... In our convicted little room here. I know. <laughs> With God working on us through what we're reading. Yes. And that's the beautiful part of what we're reading and going through this together is talking through some of those things. Giving people an insight people that may be listening and insight as to things we're dealing with and also giving them permission to, I guess, to feel the same way. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people can think, 
oh man, I do this all the time and I think I'm the only one who does this, right? Mm. <laughs> and then so we get in this mode of thinking, well, the sin that I have or what I'm doing is like no one else is doing this. No one else feels this way. No one else judges people the way that I do. No one else looks down on people mm -hmm. the way that I do. No one else points the finger like I do. And so I think by us coming in and saying, yeah, this is something that we deal with too on whatever level it may be. Ask yourself, is that something that you struggle with too? Because there's more than just you out there that may be dealing with something like that. And maybe the reason you're dealing with that is so that you can help someone who's dealing with that as well. Yes, that's how it works. And that's how it's supposed to work in this family of God. God doesn't bring you through something just to leave you there at the end of it. Mm-hmm. The experiences that we have in life are not meant to be solo experiences. Life is meant to be shared. Iron sharpens iron. I mean, yeah. we are here to help each other through this journey as we go and just try to get a little bit closer to God one step at a time. Mm -hmm. He works on you. It's a journey. It, even when you make the decision to, yes, Lord, I'm going to live for you today. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning of that journey. And then the rest of it is. And as you can see in Paul's life, God continued to work on him on little things and little things. And, and I mean, there was that one part where, you know, coming up here in Romans where he's like, man, I got this thorn in my flesh and I just want it gone. Mm -hmm. And he's, I mean, I can see him probably yelling at God. Like, I just want this done and out of me, whatever it is, whatever he was dealing with. And then for him to hear my grace is sufficient for you. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but uh, so yeah, we can always think like maybe something is so unique to us and to our situation and to our journey, but there are always people going through. Mm -hmm. I think that that thought that we can have goes one of two ways. It leads to incredible shame or it can become a pride thing of in a in the aspect of me 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 and i'm telling everyone that is listening to this your sin is no different or worse than anybody else that exists on this earth we are all on the same playing field when it comes to the sin department mm -hmm. leave your leave your shame at the door leave your pride at the door yeah Put it at the foot of the cross and look up. Yes. And now we'll be rewinding back in the Wayback Machine to Psalm chapter 50. And Heidi's going to be picking up here. And what do you got for us today, Heidi? Have um, you read through it? I have not. I did a very light skimming, but I kind of like not pre-reading. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Psalm 50. The God of gods, it's God, speaks out, shouts, earth, welcomes the sun in the east, farewells the disappearing sun in the west. From the dazzle of Zion, God blazes into view. Our God makes his entrance. He's not shy in his coming. Starbursts of fireworks precede him. 
He summons heaven and earth as a jury. He's taking his people to court. Round up my saints who swore on the Bible their loyalty to me. The whole cosmos attests to the fairness of this court that here God is judge. Are you listening, dear people? I'm getting ready to speak. Israel, I'm about ready to bring you to trial. This is God, your God, speaking to you. I don't find fault with your acts of worship, the frequent burnt sacrifices you offer, but why should I want your blue ribbon bull or more and more goats from your herds? Every creature in the forest is mine, the wild animals on all the mountains. I know every mountain bird by name. The scampering field mice are my friends. If I get hungry, do you think I'd tell you? All creation and its bounty are mine. Do you think I feast on venison or drink drafts of goat's blood? Spread for me a banquet of praise. Serve high God a feast of kept promises. And call for help when you're in trouble. I'll help you and you'll honor me. Next, God calls up the wicked. What are you up to? Quoting my laws, talking like we are good friends. You never answer the door when I call. You treat my words like garbage. If you find a thief, you make him your buddy. Adulterers are your friends of choice. Your mouth drools filth. Lying is a serious art form with you. You stab your own brother in the back. Rip off your little sister. I kept a quiet patience while you did these things. You thought I went along with your game. I'm calling you on the carpet. Now, laying your wickedness out in plain sight. Time's up for playing fast and loose with me. I'm ready to pass sentence and there's no help in sight. It's the praising life that honors me. As soon as you set your foot on the way, I'll show you my salvation. The verse that really stood out to me there was, I believe it's right around 16, 17, Mm -hmm. where he says, next God calls up the wicked. What are you up to quoting my laws, talking like we're good friends? You never answer the door when I call. Mm -hmm. You treat my words like garbage. That's heavy. It is heavy. I have so many thoughts on this. There's been some times that we have been involved with some people who didn't have the best intentions with our help. And I look back on that now and on some of the conversations that we had with them. And this has happened a couple times in the last six months or so. But some of the people I have felt paid a certain amount of lip service to God and some things that we talked about without really putting any weight or sincerity behind. And, um, and I hope that the conversations that we had are seeds that are planted that may grow into something in the future. Uh, because I felt like at times we saw measures of humanity and the want and desire for something different in life, uh, for something that wasn't as chaotic as what they were currently living. But 
the devil is such a liar and he is a master manipulator when it comes to deceiving people and making them think you don't deserve that you don't deserve any better and then they return back to things that they were doing ways that they were living and turning their back on friends that loved them cared for them whatever it may be because of those lies from the enemy so it's my prayer that the conversations that were had continue to stay with the people that we've talked to and that they always feel a sense of welcome when it comes to being able to just bear their soul with us or with someone else that they may trust and point in a different direction, point in a direction that is healthier, better for their lives. Uh, Because that's not only what you should want for your life, but it's also what God wants for your life and so many other people. I agree with everything that you said there, but I also listened to it as if you were talking to me also, just generally speaking, because mm-hmm. those words are for me too. Oh, for sure. Quoting my laws, talking like we're, we're good, you know, good friends. Mm-hmm. And then God says, I kept a quiet patience while you did these things. And you thought that I went along with your games. Mm-hmm. And how often do we get caught up in that? Nothing bad's happening to us. I'm looking like I'm doing the right thing. Look at me going to church. I'm in the ministry. I'm in this. And then I'm that. And then, oh, what's that? Did did pride come in the room with me? Am I thinking I'm better now than whoever it might be sure. because of this or that or the way I'm doing it? It makes me no better than anyone else if I allow those things into my life. So I don't... I don't want to be the wicked that God calls up. I want to be in that in that first group. And I'm finding conviction where I need conviction in my life right now. I just, I'm going to work on some areas and try to do a better job. And that's all part of the journey. It is. And friends, we'll be ending today. The last stop on this journey through the message is in Numbers. And we're going to be reading out of Numbers chapter 5 and 6. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If this is your 53rd time joining us, we thank you and appreciate you so much. We're getting ready to jump into numbers, so buckle up, show me a little grace, and (laughs) let's see if we can power through. We've got some camp rules that we're going to be talking about, and then also some vows for some people called Nazarites. Have you heard of them? I have heard of them. They had a few uh, extra little things that they were uh, in charge of and uh, some little rules and things. So we're going to go over some of that today. So all the above mentioned rules plus some extra ones? Plus. Yeah, these were, it was, uh, yeah, these were some serious people here. All right. So we're going to start out in Numbers chapter 5. God spoke to Moses. Command the people of Israel to ban from the camp anyone who has an infectious skin disease, anyone who has a discharge, and anyone who is ritually unclean from contact with a dead body. Ban male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so that they won't defile their camp, the place that I live among them. The people of Israel did this, banning them from the camp 
they did exactly what God had commanded through Moses. God spoke to Moses, Tell the people of Israel when a man or woman commits any sin, the person has broken trust with God, is guilty, and must confess the sin. Full compensation plus 20% must be made to whoever was wronged. If the wronged person has no close relative who can receive the compensation, the compensation belongs to God and must be given to the priest, along with the ram by which atonement is made. All the sacred offerings that the people of Israel bring to a priest belong to the priest. Each person's sacred offering are his own. But what one gives to the priest stays with the priest. God spoke to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, say a man's wife goes off and has an affair, is unfaithful to him by sleeping with another man, but her husband knows nothing about it even though she has defiled herself. And then, even though there was no witness and she wasn't caught in the act, feelings of jealousy come over the husband and he suspects that his wife is impure. Even if she is innocent and his jealousy and suspicions are groundless, he is to take his wife to the priest. He must also take an offering of two quarts of barley flour for her. He is to pour no oil on it or mix incense with it because it is a grain offering for jealousy, a grain offering for bringing the guilt out into the open. The priest is then to take her and have her stand in the presence of God. He is to take some holy water in a pottery jar put some dust from the floor of the dwelling in the water, and then after the priest has her stand in the presence of God, he is to uncover her hair and place the exposure offering in her hands, the grain offering for jealousy, while he holds the bitter water that delivers a curse. The priest will put the woman under oath and say, If no man has slept with you and you have not had an adulterous affair, and become impure while married to your husband, may this bitter water that delivers a curse not harm you. But if you have had an affair while married to your husband and have defiled yourself by sleeping with a man other than your husband, here the priest puts the woman under this curse. May God cause your people to curse and revile you when he makes your womb shrivel and your belly swell. Let this water that delivers a curse enter your body so that your belly swells and your womb shrivels. Then the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. The priest is to write these curses on a scroll and then wash the words off into the bitter water. He is then to give the woman the bitter water that delivers a curse. This water will enter her body and cause acute pain. The priest is then to take from her hands a handful of the grain offering for jealousy, wave it before God, and bring it to the altar. The priest then is to take a handful of the grain offering, using it as an exposure offering, and burn it on the altar. After this, he is to make her drink the water. If she has defiled herself in being unfaithful to her husband, when she drinks the water that delivers a curse, it will enter her body and cause acute pain. Her belly will swell and her womb will shrivel. She will be cursed among her people. But if she has not defiled herself and is innocent of impurity, her name will be cleared and she will be able to have children. 
This is the law of jealousy in a case where a woman goes off and has an affair and defiles herself while married to her husband. Or a husband is tormented with feelings of jealousy because he suspects his wife. The priest is to have her stand in the presence of God and go through this entire procedure with her. The husband will be cleared of wrong, but the woman will pay for her wrong. That was the end of chapter five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do some researching before I, I say a word because so all a husband has to do is I feel jealous, so I'm going to make you drink something and you're going to feel excruciating pain because that's what I can do and I'll be absolved of all wrongdoing but you're gonna pay and it seems harsh and I need to talk with God about this because what about the woman who's like but my husband has a girlfriend or my husband is seeing Mm -hmm. a woman there is nothing she can do absolutely nothing he doesn't have to drink anything yeah he doesn't have to go before he doesn't have to go through all this he doesn't have to bear the shame but she does. So these are those things that cause me questioning uh, why did women have to have worse things than men? Well, over this next week, I look forward to doing a little exploration with you and finding out maybe some context to some of these things. I would like to, because I want to understand this properly. I want to be able to read that or listen to it without having to fight back this anger or feeling of that's just not fair. Yeah. And um, God knows that I struggle with this and I'm thankful that he loves me through it Mm -hmm. because I do want to understand it properly, but I don't feel good after hearing that. I'll just be honest, but I'm going to learn. And so now we're moving into chapter six and ending for the day. And this will be about the Nazarite vows. So God spoke to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them, if any of you, man or woman, wants to make a special Nazarite vow, consecrating yourself totally to God, you must not drink any wine or beer, no intoxicating drink of any kind, not even the juice of grapes. In fact, you must not even eat grapes or raisins. For the duration of consecration, nothing from the grapevine, not even the seeds, not even the skin, may be eaten. Also, for the duration of the consecration, you must not have your hair cut. Your long hair will be a continuing sign of holy separation to God. Also, for the duration of the consecration to God, you must not go near a corpse. Even if it's the body of your father or mother, brother or sister, you must not ritually defile yourself because the sign of consecration to God is on your head. For the entire duration of your consecration, you are holy to God. If someone should die suddenly in your presence so that your consecrated head is ritually defiled, you must shave your head on the day of your purifying, that is, the seventh day. Then, on the eighth day, bring two doves or two pigeons to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest will offer one for the absolution offering and one for the whole burnt offering, purifying you from the ritual contamination of the corpse. You re-sanctify your hair on that day and re-consecrate your Nazarite consecration to God by bringing a yearling lamb for a compensation offering. 
you start over. The previous days don't count because your consecration was ritually defiled. I'm going to pause there real quick and talk about second chances. Mm. (laughs) How beautiful is it that there are some second chances and God gives away. I mean, I love that where he says, you start over. These are the instructions for the time set when your special consecration to God is up. First, you are to be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then you will present your offerings to God, a healthy yearling lamb for the whole burnt offering, a healthy yearling ewe for a absolution offering, a healthy ram for a peace offering, a basket of unraised bread made of fine flour, loaves mixed with oil, and crackers spread with oil, along with your grain offerings and drink offerings. The priest will approach God and offer up your absolution offering and whole burnt offering. He will sacrifice the ram as a peace offering to God with the basket of unraised bread, and last of all, the grain offering and drink offering. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, shave off the hair that you consecrated and put it in the fire that is burning under the peace offering. After you have shaved the hair of your consecration, the priest will add a shoulder from the ram, boiled, and a piece of unraised bread and a cracker from the basket and place them in your hands. The priest will then wave them before God, a wave offering. They are holy and belong to the priest, along with the breast that was waved and the thigh that was offered. Now you are free to drink wine. These are the instructions for the Nazarites as they bring offerings to God in their vow of consecration. Beyond their other offerings, they must carry out the vow that they have vowed following the instructions for the Nazarite. God spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the people of Israel. Say to them, God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. In so doing, they will place my name on the people of Israel, and I will confirm it by blessing them. And friends, that's the end of Numbers chapter 6. And I'll just say real quick, I got the chills a little bit when I was reading that blessing. And I'm going to read it one more time as my personal blessing to anyone listening today. May God bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look upon you full in the face and make you prosper. What a beautiful reminder of how much God cares about us and loves us. It was a beautiful second chapter. I loved that blessing and the feeling that that leaves you with. After all these rules and keeping up all these things, Mm. here is a blessing as you leave and go back home into your everyday life. And it's, it's a beautiful one. It's one that we hear frequently, but I think we don't stop to really hear it. There is a quick pause about verses 22 through 27 here in chapter 6. It says, 
The word that's translated prosper in Numbers 6 verse 26 is the Hebrew word shalom. In other versions, it's translated peace. The word basically means wholeness, the dynamic vibrating health of an individual or a society that pulses with divinely directed purpose and surges with transforming love. The greetings and salutations of many of the Apostle Paul's letters include the wish for peace in the lives of his readers. As a Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul uses the word in the sense that it's used here, shalom. It's more than peace as we know it. It's prosperity in the fullest sense of the word. It's life in all of its abundance which we have brimming over from Christ living inside of us. Ah. <laughs> yes, there's always some good wisdom in those verses. Mm-hmm. I enjoy them. And friends, what did you take from today? Was there a passage that stood out to you? Maybe a challenging, maybe God bringing something that's going on in your life to the surface? and talking to you quietly right now about maybe there's not room for that anymore. He does that frequently with me. It's just like a little tap on the shoulder, a little whisper. Like, hey, Rob, about this. Yeah, that's got to go. He's pretty good at convicting where it needs to happen. Yeah, and you know, when you start opening your eyes to some things and then you get a confirmation from like two or three people or two or three different things, you know, it could be a bumper sticker, uh, could be a, you know, something that you just randomly read, something you hear on the radio, and then you start getting these little confirmations. Those confirmations are there for a reason because that's God like tapping you on the shoulder. Hey, Uh, But if he needs to raise his voice, believe me, he can and he will. (laughs) I've been on the other side of his raised voice. Uh, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And sometimes that raised voice is what saves us. Yes. Sometimes that raised voice is what changes us. Sometimes that raised voice is the only thing that we can hear because there's so many other things going on in our life that are so loud. And so God raising his voice and taking control of the situation, pushing us back in the right direction, you know, guiding us, I guess, is in the right direction. It's like a father watching a kid out in the front yard playing soccer. And then that kid kicks the ball. And all of a sudden, you as the father see that ball rolling towards the street. And you see the kid running with abandonment, just running towards the ball because they want to get that ball. Mm -hmm. It's it's their toy. They're just running. And as the father, you're watching that child run towards the road. And it's busy. There's cars. There's semis. There's things going on in the road. And the ball is heading there. God can and will snatch us up. He does. He absolutely Just does. like that father, when he sees their child running towards danger, is not going to whisper in a quiet little voice. It's going to be loud and sound like yelling, and he's going to be running to just grab you back. And you may not even recognize it for what it is. It is incredible love. 
that wants to spare you Mm -hmm. from that danger you were running towards. And just like any parent out there, you would stop everything you're doing and do everything in your power to make sure that your child didn't run out in that street. God has infinitely more resources at his disposal than we ever could have Mm -hmm. to use to bring us back to him. So don't be afraid of that call. Don't be afraid of those little confirmations. Don't be afraid of God whispering about things that maybe need to change. I don't know. That's between you and God. It's not for me to say what needs to change. So friends, it's been a great journey today. I appreciate having you along. One of the free ways that you can support our podcast is by hitting that like button, maybe dropping a comment, or if you really want to help us, drop a review of our podcast down in the review section. That would absolutely be a blessing to us, and we appreciate any time that you spend on that. Yes, and I am going to do some researching about that bitter drink women were forced mm. to make so what it doesn't that? feel so much like a bitter pill that women have to swallow because their men can't get it right. <laughs> yes, I know. It's... So what I'm hoping to find is that God in his love and mercy with these innocent women protected them from the ill side effects of it, the horrible side effects from that pain. It's my prayer that... God was with them and they remained not affected because it seems so cruel yeah. to make an innocent person suffer just because somebody thought something because they got suspicious because they were jealous because they were insecure. So someone else has to pay. But then God's son had to do that too. So friends, stick around after the broadcast here. We're going to have the four questions from one from each of the passages that we read through today. We would love to see your answers. Drop them in the comments or join the Facebook group. There will be a link for that down in the comments. We would love to see what you think. And we'll be there too, just there for some conversation. So we'd love to engage with you. But that's all we have for today. Thanks again for joining us on this journey through the message. And we will see you next week. Can't wait to be back with you. Thanks for sticking around for something to think about. These are the questions that we have from the four different passages that we read from today. So the question for Matthew is, how can we make sure to accept God's invitation to his kingdom party with excitement and respect? I mean, remember all those people that had something better to do than go hang out at the party? I mean, so how can we make sure that we accept God's invitation to his kingdom party with excitement and respect. And then we go to Romans 2. The question there is, how can we focus on changing ourselves instead of judging others? Man, that's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, how can we focus on changing ourselves instead of judging others? Then we have Psalm chapter 50. What are some ways that we can show our thanks to God and worship Him sincerely? So what are some ways that we can show our thanks to God and worship him sincerely? And then we end the day in numbers. The question there is, what can we learn from the story of the special vow and promises made in numbers? 
And friends, that's all we have for today. Drop the answers for these questions down in the comments. We'd love to see what you have to say. Or join the Facebook group. We have a link down in the comment section here. Uh, Join the Facebook group and you can always chime in on the conversation there. We are so happy to have you along on this journey through the message and we will see you next week. Have a great week, everyone.